It was just a color out of space, a frightful messenger from unformed realms of infinity beyond all nature as we know it, from realms whose mere existence stuns the brain and numbs us with the black extracosmic gulf it throws open before our frenzied eyes. Sort of like how some filmmakers stun our brains with how they choose to adapt the work of H.B. Lovecraft, allow the cast of Cthulhu to be our guide through the world of cinematic Lovecraft adaptations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I'm Jim Rohner. And I'm James McCormick. And today we'll be reviewing 1987's The Curse, uh, directed by David Keith, written by David Chaskin, and starring Wesley Crusher himself, Will Wheaton. Yes, or, or Will Wheaton, you know, <laughs> as the joke goes. <laughs> um, and uh, we, we did uh, post on Facebook that if you are a fan of Color Out of, The Color Out of Space, mm-hmm. stay tuned because January is going to be exciting. And so obviously, number one, we are covering today The Curse, which despite the film's credits, uh, is based on The Color Out of Space, even though Lovecraft is not credited at all. Right, and it's, and it's weird because I had forgotten it was actually, you know, a color out of space adaptation because I saw this film many years ago, didn't even think about it. And then when we were talking about this podcast and like, oh, that one, I'm like, huh. And then watching it again, I'm like, oh yeah, it it is. It's, it's, it's directly a color out of space adaptation. (laughs) Yeah. I thought, I thought maybe seeing as IMDb doesn't have Lovecraft credited as, you know, story by, or based mm-hmm. on, or inspired by, I thought it was just maybe, okay, it's a somewhat similar story, a meteor crashes and weird shit happens, that's the core, maybe they built around... No, this is basically a one-to-one translation, except for some reason, no credit to Lovecraft. Right, and like, and that was the thing, the whole time I'm waiting for, you know, where's H.P. Lovecraft's name or something, mm-hmm. nothing, and you're like, okay. But then again, I, I, I have a feeling... It's kind of has a lot to do with it being produced by Italians, mm-hmm. and I, and and it's weird. Like I love a good Italian knockoff film. I love like the ridiculousness of some of those films, but this is not that. This is not like a like a ridiculous like like basically if if the Italian film industry was still as big as it was in the seventies and eighties. When Nicholas, you know, the new Colorado Space is coming out, and if it's and if if it becomes like a even a seminal hit, like a like a pretty good hit, they would copy the film, but then you would get some filmmakers only copying it by like subtle subtle hints, mm-hmm. and then it would just go a completely different direction. Like you know, Escape from New York, you know, Escape from New York comes out, and then you get something like a film like After the Fall of New York, which. <laughs> has a guy that kind of looks like Snake Plissken in it, mm-hmm. but it goes completely different ways. And you're like, oh, so it's... They watched maybe, like, the trailer and went, oh, I like the whole New York, and I like the guy that looks like a badass. Yeah, that's that's all we're taking. <laughs> but this is not that at all, which I think is very odd, no. actually. Yeah, and, uh, and I believe... Was it Fulci's Zombie or Zombie 2 was originally supposed to be like a sequel to Dawn of the Dead? And I'm putting yeah. air quotes, you can't see it. but Yeah. Um, and that is relevant, of course, because if you watch this movie, you'll see that Louis Fulci is credited as a producer. That is, of course, Lucio Fulci. And according to IMDb, he was not actually a producer, but just directed the second unit. So there's that. But um, yeah, on top of covering The Curse, 
Um, I know James and I have talked about it on past episodes. We also are planning the second episode in this month is going to be covering or reviewing Richard Stanley's The Color Out of Space, which comes out uh, January 24th. We're still kind of trying to plan that out and plot it. We're thinking maybe we go see it, do a live recording afterwards. Who knows? But January is dedicated to The Color Out of Space, and then I promise we will probably never talk about the story again because... Uh, in this in this podcast short lifespan, this will now be that will be the third time we've talked about the story. So we gotta maybe move on after that. Yeah, but I mean, it's funny because like so far, that's been, and you know, not saying the curse was like amazing. We'll get into that, but <laughs> I, it's almost kind of funny that this this story has been adapted at least closer to what the actual story is. Which I kind of think is interesting that this one is like, and like I said, we'll see when we see Richard Stanley's mm-hmm. The Color of Space, how close to the, the source material it is. If it is, like, it'll be funny that if it goes three for three and we're like, wow, somehow this is the one that they went, you know what, we're going to, we're going to adapt that one perfect. Mm-hmm. The rest, maybe by name, maybe a little subtle hint here and there, but like Color of Space, yeah, that one is. We're gonna go full force with that one. Well, yeah, and this one, this one was strange because, in in a way, the color out of space lends itself to adaptation because it's you can you can see point by point how the stakes increase, how things start out, what leads mm-hmm. to the next thing, until eventually it leads to this horrific culmination. Um, so it lends mm-hmm. itself to adaptation pretty easily. Um. And, I mean, when we talked about uh, Juan Vu's The Color Out of Space, the 2010 one, that was an, an incredibly faithful adaptation, even down to the, you know, the the scientists who were coming in and, and talking about the, the chemical makeup of the meteor and that sort of thing. And so, right. I, like I said, I, I thought maybe this would be a unintentional spiritual adaptation, but then it gets down to, no, even that of a scientist comes in, yeah. analyzes this meteor, starts talking about the chemical makeup, like, this is a one-to-one correlation, and yet for some reason it's like, you know, which one would you prefer? Uh, this adaptation, which doesn't acknowledge Lovecraft at all, or <laughs> or H.P. Lovecraft's Bride of Reanimator, which he has nothing to do with. That's a, no, that, and and that's kind of funny. I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll go out on a limb with this one. Like, um, it, this one has a certain charm, at least to me. Oh, all right. Uh, I'm not like I said. <laughs> I'm not saying it's great. It's right. not. Because it isn't. It's not, you know, and like, and that's kind of a recurring theme with this podcast, which is fine, you know. <laughs> but, um, it's just, I don't know. It's something weird about this film, like that. It's such a like faithful adaptation, and but yet at the same time, like it really to the point, like where I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of sick of, you know. Um, evil religious like father or something like that like sure. mm-hmm. u- using bible verses but then beating the shit out of like this you know will will whedon's character who is not really his son like like it's kind of alluded to that the mother i guess the father either died like passed away and then um you know Cl- you know claude atkins um character comes i guess came in at some point to save the family yeah and and bring his obnoxious uh fat son mm-hmm. who who wears a belly shirt <laughs> like a belly a football belly shirt which yeah. i'm like please yeah and and, and his his 
ever ever growing ass crack throughout the movie, which I'm like, can you please like pick up your pants? Like like the whole time, I'm like please, I don't want to. That that was the horror of this film. Now <laughs> I I'm I'm trying to think here. Where where do I begin? Because James says there's, there's a certain charm to it. Yeah, I'm like no charm. I I'm I'm going to disagree. Um. But I guess let me see. So, what what comment should I start with? How about this one from IMDb, which says, <laughs> "Will Wheaton once said that the only good thing about the movie was that his sister got a job on it." See, I, and that's what I love about Will Wheaton. Like he'll look back at some of his <laughs> roles, like, and he'll trash them, and for good points, you know. Then and that's actually and yeah, like and the, you know the sister's not bad. You know, mm-hmm. she's crying throughout the film. You know, like like you know you would. Yeah. Um. The actress who plays the mom is the to me the right amount of crazy, but then, okay, like I said, a certain charm to me is completely different. Like you know, to to the listeners out there, I like trashy films, so not looking at this as a Lovecraft adaptation, this is trashy to me. And like for some reason, when you are um, you become like a deadite mm-hmm. when you get infected with you know from the meteorite. Or, or as um, the doctor kind of like lies about it, um, it's airplane doo doo <laughs> as a joke, and I'm like, oh, please, please don't, you know. But I mean, like the whole vegetable thing and like fruit thing, but like it's like taken to like this weird kind of extreme, which is again, like I said, this is a very weird film because it has that Italian influence where the um special effects kind of go crazy yeah like you know when when she cuts open like you know the uh the cabbage oh yeah and it's gross looking and she's like and it's and she's hacking up like oh it's gross so and that's a bigger vegetable Mm -hmm. so you're like okay then she has a tomato and this music is so like (laughs) done done you know you're like (laughs) okay come on and she's like slowly and then it explodes yeah, it's, all over her. It seemingly just sprays her with blood. I don't know. Right. <laughs> yeah. and, she's, and, that, and that's when she's been infected. Yeah. Not from the water. Nope. Like, you know, and she starts to get that little mold that grows. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you're, yeah. It's gross. Like, and that's the thing. That's why, like, from this weird point of view, like, I I wasn't bored. But at the same time, like, like I told you, like, I just can't. I don't know what it is with, like evil religion like or not even evil but like asshole religious father or something like mm-hmm. i've seen it so many times in horror films right and like when it's done well and it's just rare it's like poignant you know like or you know something like night of the hunter mm-hmm. where it's like creepy and you're like oh, okay yeah it's it's used to perfection but then something like this you're like oh you know he's a good man no he's not he's an asshole uh, like you know and then and like I said, this film also like has these weird like it almost gets into a different like subplot where it's like, oh, she's cheating with that other guy who is never seen again. <laughs> okay. Okay, Th- okay. Thank-, I'm gl- I- thank you for validating me on that. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Cuz it, it did get to a certain point where like, wait, wait, what what happened to the farmhand that she was like banging that allegedly according to at least Claude Atkins, the the stepfather character, was sort of also half responsible for this quote unquote curse infecting the farm. And right. you're you're right. I yeah, the overbearing religious um, maniac is 
I, I'm not a huge fan of it either. Unfortunately, we're living in a day and age where they seem to be coming back uh, in vogue, if you will. Um, oh, yeah. Because, and it, it yeah. does seem like he's, you know, he's playing the role that in, you know, 2001... Or I'm sorry, 2007. Marsha Gay Harden would do very well in the mist, like you know. Right, that's done well. Yeah, it, it can be done very well, but he's just kind of, I don't know, terse and kind of an asshole. And eventually, you have a scene where it's once again, podcasters, you can't see it. I'm putting in air quotes. He's reading from the Book of Revelation when it's very clearly they they shot other people, put them in shadow, and his voiceover was on top of it. But uh-huh. I I've decided, James. Okay, I'm going to step back. I'm gonna I'm gonna lead off with some of the things I appreciated about this okay. movie because there are okay. things I appreciated about it. It's a new, it's a new year. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Um, if I were just to have read uh, David Chaskin's script, which mm-hmm. he would also uh, write the the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two. Which is a great, which is a great one, which is actually getting some buzz again. Yeah, the the unenviable task of writing a sequel to a film that was never intended to be a franchise. So where does he take it? What does he do with it? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it like I said, it is a very faithful, a very faithful adaptation. Um, but he adds some things to it which I really enjoy. I actually kind of liked that un, that subtext, not subtext, because it's pretty much there in the text. But this idea of a person believing this was a, you know, a, a fundamentalist kind of religious person thinking this was a curse brought on by sin. We have sinned. We need to repent. That can right. be done well. And I loved the the whole side plot with Davidson. The idea he's this smarmy, obnoxious real estate guy who really wants to cover this stuff up because he wants to financially benefit from selling the property. That's a cool little subplot, and that adds a conflict that's not in there. And I'll be honest, in in my mind, when I've been kind of like, oh, if I were to write a a Color Out of Space screenplay, it would involve that, a real estate deal. I want to buy this land. Don't buy this land. It's cursed. Let me tell you what happened all those years ago. Right. Um, That element is in here, and it's it's really kind of cool, and Davidson is... The actor, uh, let me see, Steve Carlyle. Yeah, I I like him. Like he, he's such a, he's a good sleaze. Yeah, he he's a perfect '80s sleaze character. He's the cigar that like <laughs> yeah. keeps like getting smaller. <laughs> <laughs> um, like you could see him as a character in uh, Gremlins or like a, a John Carpenter film. Like you know, he he would fit in those, and that that works. Those things work very well. And like you said. Italian horror, giallo, the kind of effects you have in there. Dude, when he was looking at that cow and you have the close-up oh. of the skin splitting open with... Yeah, horrible. that was, looked good. That looked good. But then it got ridiculous when all the maggots are flying at them and like... <laughs> right. Uh... <laughs> and, and even and even the uh, at the end when he goes to check on his mom and she's basically just melting in front of him. Yeah, which is, you know... Is it's a great it's a great visual where he just looks at her and goes whimpers a little bit and okay and then um, Bo Duke from Dukes of Hazard's like we gotta go <laughs> let's get out of here <laughs> yeah it's it's great it's also because in the color out of space in Juan Vu's it was something that they clearly didn't have the budget for because you just kind of see a close up of something leaking out from under the door frame whereas this one shows you what it is leaking out from under the door frame and it's horrifying yeah she's like you could tell. She's still like conscious and yeah. like, and that's like even like scarier mm-hmm. about it. Yeah, 
I agree, yeah. Now, <laughs> having said that, <laughs> what I didn't like about it... Was everything else. Literally everything else. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, the... But I think it's... Within the first ten minutes, I was saying, this is such a quintessential 80s movie in the sense of, one, the score, which is clearly trying to mimic John Carpenter to diminishing returns. Yeah, yeah. And two, that idea of, I don't know what it was about 80s genre movies that felt like there had to be a doofy or goofy element as embodied here in the son, um, what was yeah, his, oh. Oh, Cyrus, uh, who, Cyrus, who wears oh. the, the undersized Tennessee uh, Vols uh, football jersey. Mm-hmm. And um, just how, I, I don't know, the, and the, the weird sexual escapades between the doctor and his wife, who I understand that she is invested in selling the farm off as well, and so she's trying to seduce her husband to kind of push him in that direction, but it's just this weird titillation that doesn't seem to fit but like it's sort of as though like hey you're making an 80s movie here's a checklist of things you got to include and it hits all of those whether it works or not yeah and that's just a very odd scene because Mm -hmm. like the doctor character is a good person deep down like he really wants to help Mm -hmm. and then he ultimately does or at least tries to but yeah but yeah it's like this one scene where she's you know, like earlier, she winks at, you know, at Davidson, like, I'll, I'll, I'll get him to, you know, go along with it. Mm-hmm. And then, but then it's like, I don't know, a day or two later, where she's like oiling up her legs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then sits next, like, oh, you know what's not broken? And you're like, okay. <laughs> Scene. Okay. Ne- next. Like, <laughs> like, that's I and like yeah I agree with that it's very like you said it's very eighties in all the wrong ways and I agree yeah it's like that late eighties like well it's all, like again it's almost like the Italians are like um putting their influence in like oh what would the Americans like uh oh a very sexy blonde woman <laughs> re- greasing up her legs yeah mm-hmm. like the Farrah Fawcett you know yeah and yeah and then. And, of course, she gets her comeuppance, which you don't see. You know, like, you kind of see the dogs playing with her, and then... <laughs> they just throw some screams in there in, in, in the yeah. the soundtrack. Which also, I'm... Uh, okay. When James and I were talking about this film after we had both watched it, I sent him a message that I said... Uh, that I believe I said, this has to be one of the worst put-together films I'd ever seen. Um, not yeah. just in the sense of... Uh, like I get the sense of they didn't really shoot coverage. They shot every individual shot they needed. So when the editor was like, Hey, we don't have this shot. So I'm just going to put this thing together and move on. Right. Um, scenes kind of end real abruptly. There's, uh, the scene when the, when the mom is cutting the rotten vegetables and there are so many cuts. Why are there so many cuts? Why are we cutting back and forth? But then also she's giving this like gagging sound, which the actress is clearly not making. No, <laughs> but it's like, oh, we have to put this in here, and instead she's just kind of shaking her head. But it's like, eh, 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 and like, oh my god, you could be kidding me. It, it just, it's so. And then when the house is collapsing at the end, how incoherent you can't really see. Like it's just, I, I think this was, I believe this was the directorial debut of David Keith. And if you're thinking, oh, I loved him in the thing, that's Keith David. 
Yeah, yeah. This, 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 this is David Keith. <laughs> this is David Keith. His inverse. <laughs> right. Who um, did not have, a surprise, surprise, an illustrious directing career. Um, but, it, like, and, and I don't know why that is. I mean, it's also, I always wonder, is this, was this a story he always wanted to tell? Were they just trying to, was like, was David Keith a big enough name in 1987 where people would assume that would be a box office draw? I, You know, and it's funny because, like, I'm look, you know, I'm trying to see what came out, and like, weird enough, in '87, he made a film, but like, he's he's the star of it called The White of the Eye, which is a great like American, like thriller, almost like a giallo itself, mm-hmm. which is interesting that the same year he stars in like, like almost like a giallo riff in America, you know, he does The Curse. Mm-hmm. And then also the same year that he also directed, he directed two movies that same year. He directed The Curse and he directed another movie called, which I've never seen, The Further Adventures of Tennessee Buck. <laughs> which again, Tennessee, you know. Yeah. And he also stars in it, but um, I don't know. It's like weird because I'm like trying to look at his career. Then he didn't direct a film again until 2003. Mm-hmm. And. You know, that kind of, it's very telling. Like, the, it, it's a very, like, you, yeah, you're right. It, it's almost like they had just enough film for a 90-minute film. Mm-hmm. They got in the can, and then for some reason, some shots, like, I almost, like, as, as a joke, I was going to say, it's almost, um, like a Terrence Malick film at some points when it just shows like, like the animals eating and drinking the water and yeah. mm-hmm. for long periods of time. And you're like, okay, I get it. They're getting infected. I, I know let's where to carry. <laughs> like, like I understand. Let's go on, please. And like when, when Will Whedon's looking at the, uh, the uh, meteorite shrinking mm-hmm. and melting away. And it's just like, goes on for like almost like a minute straight <laughs> and you're like okay i know you know like and you see his reaction by him like looking and like looking shocked and then the fall you know like the steam and then next scene it's like he's home and then trying to say what it is and oh you don't know what you're talking about you're a child you know i know i'm i'm a i'm a bible thumper it's like okay yeah like, now I'll preface this comment by saying this may shock many of you. I've never directed a film before, <laughs> but David Keith shows such bad instincts in so many of the directorial choices he makes. I mean, that like breakfast conversation where the doctor comes in and, you know, Will Wheaton's trying to convince his dad, like, I don't want to drink the water, just the way that it's blocking and how the camera changes perspective and POV doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the fact that they clearly linger on so many of the practical effects because they're clearly very proud of them. Mm-hmm. And yet it goes on a bit too long. Um, and like I said, when, you know, the action is just kind of incoherent in when the house is, is breaking apart at the end. And also we have this um, representative from the tel- uh, the Tennessee Valley Authority, who is the one scouting the area to see where they want to put the, the reservoir is I guess supposed to be the hero when he saves uh Will Wheaton from his stepdad at the end, except one, 
who the fuck is this guy and why should we care? Well, it's it's one of the Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> okay. It's almost like that's the only reason, like, because right. he's kind of a comical character at points. Yeah, and he's the hero, and then he again. Remember, he's the one from the very beginning. Sure, but my it's it's more of the sort of like how we know that he knows where the house is because he clearly broke and entered trying to find you know a glass of water only to be ushered out from by the stepfather but then also why is he there at the end he has no purpose being there other than to just fill the role of we need a hero uh so it's gonna be this random guy even though wait no okay the the doctor was dead at that point which yeah well and that's and that's why he's there because the doctor remember he calls the hotel or the inn oh yeah where's where's willis oh he's out right now oh can you leave him a note meet me at all right the crane place that's the only reason but it's like that's the only reason like oh meet me at the crane place at nine o'clock okay okay and then he got there going okay why is the house falling apart uh (laughs) Why does it smell like like melting people? Yeah. Okay, let me go inside. Oh, I like. And the thing is, how did he get inside? Because supposedly the stepfather was nailing the door shut. Yeah. And then and then he's trying to escape, and he's opening up that door. <laughs> how did you get in? <laughs> okay, so I'll I'll retract my complaint or or my criticism about why was he there at the end, but I will also offer, <laughs> if someone says, "Hey, meet me at this house." I show up, the house is glowing and smoking and collapsing. I'm not fucking going in the house. No, I'm not either. I'm I'm going peace. Okay. <laughs> right. Well, my my job is done here. I hope you made your your peace with the Almighty, buddy. I gotta go. Um, no, it's just it's so nonsensical and like and it. it one thing that Juan Vu's uh, the Color Out of Space did very well was this idea of. We have the audience surrogate character as like this guy who is hearing these stories of of what happened, and mm-hmm. it's the you know the the development and our the emotional investment is the guy who's saying yeah years ago here's what happened I witnessed this family you know deteriorate and and I'm alive and kind of have these regrets about what stuff happened here are you know we our POV is directly with the family because Will Wheaton is our main character, but one Will Wheaton is the same from the beginning of the film to the end of the film. Right. Um, with the exception of maybe he finally stood up to his, his stepdad or something like that. But then also, the other characters, with the exception of uh, the stepdad, are so poorly fleshed out that, like, when he's like, no, I have, like, I can't leave my mom, that felt emotionally flat to me. Yeah. Because um, with the exception of that one scene when, it's, when he's like, well, I'm just reading. She's like, oh, you're going to ruin your eyes. You know, your dad really is a good man. There, there's no, like, rapport. I, I believed a lot more in, in the connection between him and his sister, and especially because he's trying to convince the dad there's something wrong with the water, and you see just, like, an insert shot of his sister looking over at him with, like, a sympathetic air. And, like, that's all all you need, really, to kind of establish this, this emotional connection, and it just wasn't there. Yeah, it's very... Because at first, until, like, the little conversation, I thought... Well, Wheaton was just like either adopted or like a foster ch- foster child. Yeah, and then it's like, oh wait, that's his actual mother. Okay, like I don't feel it. Like I, I mean, I feel like she's like a nicer person, or at least wants mm-hmm. like a romantic relationship with this guy. Who, like, I don't like. 
I don't know how much older Claude Atkins is, is like, is he supposed to be, like, 30 years older than her? If he's not supposed to be, then, I mean, it, it certainly yeah. failed, because he, he, he does seem significantly older. Yeah, much older, and, like, it's weird, because, like, I like Claude Atkins a lot, like, but he became, like, later in his, in his career, um, grumpy, or, like, just, like, a bad father or grandfather character like like i remember him from the twilight zone you know like maple you know the maple street episode oh yeah the monsters that's, of maple street yeah, yeah. that's him mm-hmm. and he's great in that like he's amazing like so you know but like it's just weird like seeing him older and like gruff and like he has this great voice he has a great you know what it is he he brings a good like a good presence to the film mm-hmm. like a, like almost like a uh like a lot of times they would hire someone like a uh like George C. Scott for certain like lower budget films later in his life, or yeah, you would get like these, you know, really good character actors that could give a little life, and that and that's what the Italians did a lot too. And like I said, that's why this film is such an anomaly. Where you know, David Keith somehow, like you said, was he so passionate about this film, like this idea, this story mm-hmm. that he got with like Italian producers. And then got the film made because then, like you said, all the interiors are in Rome. So, like, was that cheaper to do than in just all in Tennessee? Right? Like, it's very odd. That Maybe that's why this film cost $4 million. <laughs> yeah, or, I don't know, maybe it was even supposed to be, like, uh, you know, an actor looking to break out. So it's like, hey, here's this low-budget thing. Right, and, like, and that's the thing with a lot of actors turn directors um some you know will <clears throat> again i'll go you look at something like night of the hunter charles lawden yeah the only film he ever directed and it's a masterpiece oh my god it's amazing the curse is not anywhere near a masterpiece <laughs> you know and i'm, I'm you know and i'm not and again i like a good trashy weird like like you said like dubbing is off and like but the special effects are good but like the the editing the editing is very like italian like genre film because that's a lot of time like if you look at any lucio fulci film and that's kind of makes sense now that lucio fulci would have done like second unit where it just makes no sense because a lot of his films it was almost like dreamlike a lot of time not that this is dreamlike but sometimes you'd watch a scene and then it would just almost like cut to another scene where you're like wait who's this character now like where did they come from and that's kind of like this where all of a sudden like john schneider's you know um tva guy comes out of nowhere like halfway through the film you're like oh this is a new character this wait wasn't it and then the whole time i'm thinking what was that him in the beginning like you know for six months earlier or later in the story and like and then of course they blame like oh six months he got infected but no, he's just trying to tell the truth. Right. And I, I do wonder if that wraparound story, if that was added later, or if that was scripted, because it... Right. You, you kind of forget about it, and then they return to it at the end, and it... Yeah. I, I know what they're trying to do with it. It doesn't work very well, because... And I guess at the end of the day, that's my biggest complaint with this film, is that it lacks the the existential dread that Juan Vu's film did, where it's just... Um, even though 
that film was limited to a, a small geographic area because of how it destroyed this family and how intimate those relationships were built, you felt that that destruction stood in for something larger, whereas this one just kind of felt like, oh, this farm is fucked, and that's it. Yeah, and like, like, and it's weird because like nobody else like it. I mean, of course, it's like we're focusing on this farm, but then at the end, it's like, oh, now it's it's gonna spread. Yeah, like you know what I mean. Like, yeah, like sequel. Like you know, like uh, which then of course there were two sequels, but direct to video, which not, nothing wrong with that, but it's just like okay, I, like I was I was half expecting with when you have that weirdly acted like nurse see there's nothing wrong right. and he just gives a look like of death like a death stare mm-hmm. but, but, and, and then again why is he wrapped up <laughs> like i know he's hitting his head in right. the cop car like screaming but what like he he looked like a mummy mm-hmm. at the end like with, with glasses on then he just takes them off like just leave me alone like <laughs> like i i'm you know what? Everyone else is going to die. At least I'll know. Yeah. I tried. The, the look in his eye is not so much um, horror as much as annoyance. Like, stop talking right. to me. Yeah, please, please. <laughs> just just shut my blinds. Yeah. Um, you know? Two, two of my favorite parts in this movie, which kind of uh, point to the fact that no one really had any idea what they were doing, <laughs> um, is, one, the scene where... Uh, so, uh, Willis... I believe that's the doctor's name, right, Willis? Uh, or is it Forbes? Forbes. Okay, Forbes. I think he's. Well, I think it's Forbes. Willis is. I don't even know. Willis it, is. It, Willis is a is is David Duke or, or it, yeah not, yeah. Not, I'm sorry, David not David Duke. Duke. <laughs> not, not, not David. Uh, to be clear, um, that would be an interesting movie. <laughs> yeah, jo- John Snyder is not the former uh, Grand Wizard of the KKK. Bo Duke. Bo Duke. Bo Duke. Um, it, it, that is John. Is John Snyder? Cooper Huckabee uh, is Forbes, who is the Doctor character. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Forbes drops off this water sample at a lab to have it oh, analyzed. Yeah. Comes back twenty four hours later, and a, the, a, a a scientist, and we can tell he's a scientist because he has a white lab coat and sun and glasses. Yes. Um, approaches Forbes and tells him the tests were inconclusive. Inconclusive, mind you, or or at least they didn't know what they had on their hands. Right. Less than two minutes later, the doctor is screaming, "Your entire family could be in danger!" Like, yeah. What you just said? You had no idea what you were, what was, yeah. what you had with, and so it's just kind of this, you know, poorly written, poorly devised scene. So that's number one, and number two. James, maybe you can help me out with this one. <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> Near the climax, uh, yeah. uh, uh, um, Willis shows up, and he stabs Will Wheaton's stepdad with a pitchfork. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And if I, what I understand happens, he stabs Will Wheaton's stepdad with a pitchfork, and then a TV explodes. <laughs> yeah. Like. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, that was a big thing in the 80s. TVs exploding. Like, <laughs> it was, Memorex, you know, like... To be just... clear, a TV explodes and splatters Will Wheaton with blood? That's what it seemed like. Like, the house... <laughs> the way the house was, like, blowing up, like, you know, exploding, was almost like... And it's and it, this is what's really odd about it, because, like, a few days ago, my girlfriend and I wanted to just watch some... 
something we just wanted to watch something and then like on amazon prime we saw amityville 3d was up there okay the, the third in the uh the seven film original series <laughs> oh my which, lord yeah okay so so the thing the weird thing is the copy that's on amazon prime mm-hmm. is actually a 3d copy oh which is kind of weird because it's really badly done 3d like <laughs> where it's like parts are 3d like mm-hmm. like a little bit in the corner a little bit in the background and then every so often you'll have hey um here's a boom mic <laughs> and it's like right in your face so she's like oh should we watch the original i went well we could you know but you know the gist of it but so we ended up watching the first one <clears throat> excuse me and then we you know because that it makes sense you know like she, she's laughing and then Watching that one, the ending is the house, because the house is evil. Yeah, sure. It is, like, blowing up and, like, ripping apart and, like, stuff. So it was really weird that when watching The Curse, this house is, like, even more so. Like, it was almost like that this house was haunted. Yeah. And it was a climax to, like, a, like, like Poltergeist or something like that. Like, like the freaking, like, like... The I don't know like the walls like the like the I don't know what that is like the freaking molding is like flying like rolling up and flying and like and like it's like some scenes where Will Whedon and John Schneider are running they're like really getting hit by stuff <laughs> yeah. like they're like they're really like screaming like like in pain mm-hmm. like there's one part when they're running up the stairs because like my sister mm-hmm. and they're running up and then the one door like flies open and john schneider like it looks like he gets hit so hard that his glasses fly off (laughs) they fly away Mm -hmm. he has them again later or whatever but and like i'm like that that seems about right for one of these type of genre films where yeah we're not going to use uh stuntmen like like don't worry don't worry it's okay it won't hurt and like i want to hear will whedon's story about that like like how close to death this freaking house is, like, blowing up around them and, like, just collapses on itself at the end. Like, what? Yeah, if I, because I know you, you bought the Blu-ray and it's coming soon. If there is it a... Came, it came, it came when I, when I came home last, like, this morning. Okay. From work. It was in my, I'm like, thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Amazon. Is there a commentary track? <laughs> no, just it's from, nothing. Uh... It's nothing. I was so pissed. I thought there would have because it's Scream Factory, too. And they always do a good job. But and also, because if there was a commentary track just oh. from Will Wheaton, worth the purchase, 100%. Oh, 100, 110%. Like, like, I actually, like, he's very, like, receptive, like, on online, like, on Twitter. Well, at least he was. I don't know if anymore because mm-hmm. of, you know, every asshole out there. But <laughs> I want to ask him that question somehow. Like, the curse. Like, when the house is exploding, like, you were, like, actually getting pelted by, like... <laughs> shrapnel and stuff right <laughs> and this is what made him beam up to the starship enterprise yep it, like bye yeah well he he had to join starfleet to try and discover the source of the meteor is what i understand you know happened. what that you know that this is the prequel we never knew <laughs> you know how did wesley crusher see no wonder see no wonder it, it like he doesn't look like his mother oh, well yeah because his his real mother you know? is, is dr crusher right 
Well, it, yeah, I mean, it clearly seems like there was some PA who had a, who had a great job just throwing doors at Will Wheaton and, and John Schneider off camera. Oh but God, yeah. I and I wondered if what the film was trying to imply was that near the end, the house itself was kind of coming alive or being like, I, I don't I don't I don't or, or I don't know, because it was just so incoherent. I had no idea what was happening other than. Um, they were trying to escape this house, which was now being apparently sucked into the depths of hell. Yeah, it's weird. Like, it's getting sucked in, and then you ultimately, six months later, the the land is, like, growing evil again. Mm-hmm. Um, it took six months, though. Yeah, and, and by the land, what James means is clearly a model that <laughs> um, is splitting open and something is leaking out of it. It's, oh my god. Yeah, it's such a. <laughs> this may. I wish I. I wish I had time to watch the sequels just to see like, do they actually have any reference to the first one, or is it just by name only? Because the the second one kind of shows you like a snake. Right. It's called like the curse to the bite. The bite, yeah. Which then is that also like is that a religious thing? Is that like a whole like Adam and Eve thing, or is it just no we. We got a budget of snakes, and that's it. <laughs> Evil snakes. <laughs> I Which mean, I can see. Either one works. It, it it makes as much sense as anything else, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, no, I, I mean, from what, from, yeah, well, from what I understand, they made two sequels to this. Uh, they, they have no connection with the original one. Yeah, the, the premise of yeah. Curse 2, the bite, is... Uh, <laughs> I know. You read it. Read Here's, it. This is great. Here, you you know it's an '80s movie because it says, <laughs> "After being bitten by a radioactive snake." <laughs> That's it. That's all you need. Um, <laughs> that yeah. What? How can I even complete that sentence in a way which is going to satisfy what you're imagining right now? Um, oh, maybe maybe here's how a young man begins to spawn snake-like creatures with a vicious, murderous nature. I, I need to see that, actually. So. <laughs> I, I mean, need is a strong word, James. Let's be honest with ourselves here. I, I have weird needs, so that's <laughs> that's that's why. <laughs> um, but uh, but good news, if you're wondering, you can buy the, the two-pack of The Curse and The Curse 2, The Bite double feature on Amazon for less than $10. Yeah, that's that's what I that's the one I got. So, <laughs> oh my god! But so I can I can watch that second. But the the third one, I don't I don't think I don't know if that one's been released at least on like Blu-ray or not that this film really needed Blu-ray to be honest. Yeah, I mean, Kurt, Kurt and a Curse Three came out in 1991. It's called Curse Three: Blood Sacrifice, um, in wow. which uh, are you ready for yeah. this one? Are you ready yeah. for this one, James? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm ready. I'm okay. ready. Okay. In 1950s Africa, because of course, yes, um, a oh my god, a tribal magician calls up a demon to kill Europeans. Yeah, and starring Christopher Lee. Star- starring Christopher Lee. <laughs> um, and and an actor named Henry Sele, which his IMDb photo is very interesting. It's from Shaka Zulu. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, it seems like he was Shaka Zulu himself. So you have Shaka Zulu versus Christopher Lee, possibly. These the the, the, the sequels sound so much more interesting, right? In a, in the most trashy way possible. But in 1950s Africa, uh, I, I mean, also starring um, a um, 
a little-known actor named Gavin Hood, who would go on to direct a film called Sotsi, as well as um, X-Men Origins Wolverine. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I think what happens is the twist in this movie, James, is there really is a curse, but it's on the franchise versus the Crane's property. That's it. That make it makes sense. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, who would have thought? Oh, also, Ender's Game. I forgot Gavin Hood made Ender's Game. I forgot that as well. Um, yeah, I actually forgot they made that big budget movie. I, I actually saw that in theaters. What the hell? Mm-hmm. Well, wow. I, I think people turned on or, uh, Orson Scott Card once they realized he was. Is it? Is it? He's a misogynist. Is that what it is? I think he's a misogynist, and I think. I think it also, I don't know, maybe he also came out as either, like, homophobic oh, or homophobic, something. Homophobic, yes, thank you. Yeah, oh, see, there we go, perfect time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, asshole, yeah. Yeah. I know, and and I'll be honest, it's like, I try, like I tried reading Ender's Game. Not Now we're going on a tangent of Gavin Hood, but... Listen, t- tried... tangents are better than this movie. Yeah, there you go. This movie needed more tangents. That's, <laughs> it would have been better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean... What what I find funny is like when we were like little side story about when we were trying to find to to watch this film, I was trying to find my copy mm-hmm. on Blu-ray so then I can even though we live in New York, both of us, New York City, it's hard for us to meet up because we both work different shifts and whatnot. So I was going to send Jim my Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Couldn't find it, so I'm like, oh, I'll just order it again. I don't care, you know, whatever. If worst case. When I find the other copy, I'll gift it to somebody, you know, yeah. here. I don't like you. Here's the curse. Um, <laughs> now you must watch it. <laughs> and so I could And then, of course, it says, oh, we're not like we're canceling your delivery. But then all of a sudden it still came. So <laughs> I that's the curse that it still came after all this time. Mm-hmm. So so trying to find a copy on on youtube was interesting because there was one that i'm like oh why is this why is this copy like two hours and 34 minutes i'm like the film is not that long no and the weird thing about that one is it's the full film and then like the the last like the extra hour is just the last hour again (laughs) which i i can only imagine if someone didn't know that Mm -hmm. and then like watch it and go wow that was a twist ending it happened all over again <laughs> well yeah because we were my fiance uh so <laughs> graciously watched this with me i'm sorry yeah y- yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry that she had to endure that <laughs> and so we you know i have a we have a roku so i called it up on youtube i searched for the curse and i noticed there's two versions one is as you said the one that's two hours and yeah i think 43 minutes long yeah yeah um and then another one which is an hour 10 Oh. Which we we started with that one because I thought it was closer to the runtime until you realize that one is one that was clearly filmed by someone in a movie theater with a camera. So, so weird. So we're like, uh, maybe let's try the two hour forty three minute one. Maybe there's like I don't know commentary or something else at the end. And it turns out that one is not only higher better like higher quality, but it's just yeah you <laughs> it just has the movie one and I, a half times. I I think it's because of the whole legality of it. Like mm. oh, like. How do you put up? So, like, let's put up a version that's like longer, mm-hmm. so it won't get caught, which is just odd to me. 
like YouTube is just a weird like wild west of like things like that. Same thing with Amazon Prime. Like you would think Amazon, Amazon, like the biggest company in the in the world, a lot of times a lot of films that get up there are put up illegally. Yeah, like the whole one cut of the dead thing that happened where it got put up and people were like, oh wow, cool, I can watch it. And all of a sudden the you know people that made it are like, oh, we didn't put it up. <laughs> And then, like, and there's nobody policing it. Mm. And it's weird, because, like, what what I kind of love about Amazon Prime is, like, a lot of weird Italian genre films are just randomly put up, like, old stuff. And it's, like, the copies that make me laugh, because it's, like, growing up and trying to watch, like, films like like this, and, like, you couldn't find a copy here, you would get, like, a bootleg from a friend, like, you know, on, on video cassette and later DVD where you would have the film itself but then it would be have subtitles from like turkey <laughs> you know so you'd be watching this italian film that's already dubbed mm-hmm. and then with turkish subtitles because the best copy in the world at that time was a turkish copy on like video cassette that someone else recorded and then it got duped so many times it's like i said i've I've had a weird life with genre films <laughs> <laughs> to watch to watch the worst of the worst. And like, for some reason, still like and, and the joke is, but I still have never seen The Graduate. So <laughs> that one day that will be rectified. I have a copy. I have I have the Criterion Blu-ray. So it's not like, oh, I won't buy it. No, I bought it. Mm. I just haven't watched it yet. So but I'll watch something like The Curse, like, you know, multiple times in my life. But yeah, that but that's what I'm saying. Like. I never knock anyone at all about not seeing a film ever because I hate that whole gatekeeping thing. Like, you know, it happens in a lot of things like in horror fans are like or like it's either gatekeeping in the sense like, how have you never seen this? Are you stupid? And it's like, no, because I've seen so many other films or you have the whole thing where someone goes, like, oh, you know, I've seen like I love horror. Oh, and like. It's and it sadly it happens to a lot of women. Oh well, have you seen blah blah blah? This little known film that some horror director made in like the basement somewhere, and you're like, why would you like? Why are you trying to like challenge somebody? <laughs> let let people watch films, let them like what they like, let them hate what they hate, whatever. But I just hate that whole thing. Like like I used to get that a lot. Oh you like how could you? watch all that shit and like not see like you know the graduate i'm like okay like sorry sorry that i, I did not watch the graduate you know i i know i failed at life so <laughs> and you know what as as much as i enjoy that movie i'm i would go out on a limb and say if you haven't seen it by now don't bother not because it's not good but also like it it's i think it's very much a a a film from a time and a place, which is like, if it, you can see it and you can appreciate it, but it's not like, oh my god, that was a movie I, I definitely had to see. Like, it's kind of more symptomatic of the shift in Hollywood filmmaking at the time, you know? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah. I, I've also never seen Easy Rider. I'm not going to make an effort to. I mean, I, I, I look at Easy Rider as like a masterpiece, but like, in a sense, like you said, like, it's it's a film of its time. Mm-hmm. And it's the whole changing of the guard yeah. in Hollywood, which is interesting. Like, it's like, oh, 
how did this film do that? Mm-hmm. And then you wait like 40 years later and you make a sequel to it. Yep. Funnily, and, and then funnily enough, since we're talking about The Graduate, I believe, um, I think in that year when it was nominated for Best Picture, a another film that was nominated, which was more symptomatic of how bloated and terrible the studio system had been, was Dr. Doolittle? I, you know, I knew you were going to say that. For some <laughs> reason, I had a feeling, because like, I remember watching that film as a kid, mm-hmm. Dr. Doolittle. I, I love Rex Harrison. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we have another Dr. Doolittle coming out with Robert Downey Jr. A, a, another Dr. Doolittle from the guy that gave us Traffic and Syriana. Okay, that's why. Okay. that Okay. I, I was wondering, because I'm like, the film actually looks, like, nicely shot. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, huh. I did not see who directed. That's actually... Yeah. Yeah, and it also cost like $180 million. Sure, and um, we'll probably be seen by nobody. But as we've yeah. talked about, um, it, it's it's the curse. We can blame, we can blame <laughs> it on, on the curse, I suppose. It's the curse. Dr. Doolittle, it's the curse. Uh, I mean, I guess, I, I, James, do, do you have anything else to say about uh, this 1987 um, cinematic classic? Um, no, I, I, all I would say is, um, if you want to see a better Will Whedon film, see Stand By Me. Oh, yeah. And if you want to see a better, not even directed, but a better David Keith film, mm-hmm. see Wide of the Eye from the same year. That's, that's like a, Arrow put it out a few years back on Blu-ray, but I had seen it at like a, uh, in New York, um, every so often, the every year, the anthology, um, um, theater here in, in it's in Manhattan. They do like a. They don't tell you what the films are going to be, but it's like six films from like the eighties, mm-hmm. and it's like a marathon. And usually it's done by uh, Grady Hendrix. Who, okay. Paperbacks from Hell, and mm-hmm. you know all. And now he's become like a big author, but like, like uh, which is great because he's he's a cool dude, and like he does this thing every year, like either eighties or nineties or like a kung fu marathon, but. They can't advertise what they are because they would have to pay so much money for all the rights yeah. for all these films. So one year was eighties films and one of them was Wipe the Eye and it blew me it blew me away. So you wanna see like a fun, weird eighties film with David Keith? Watch that. Don't watch his directorial stuff. Like at least not the curse. Like don't bother. <laughs> I mean Unless you want to watch like a two hour and forty three minute version and like feel like you're like in a curse, like a loop, then do that. Okay, so (laughs) (laughs) the stepfather is insistent. There's nothing wrong with the water. Um, Yes. And you're not leaving this table till you drink everything and you eat all your food. Right. And then it cuts to the next scene. And multiple, like I'm going to say at least two scenes that are included in the film after that. He's saying bring this food up to your sister, make whatever you want or something to the, so it's like, yes, d- d- yeah. d- did he relent? Is he, because then he sees that Will Wheaton is also bringing in food from out of town and then goes to beat him for that. So it's like, what you don't even understand your own characters here. Yeah. It, that's a whole, yeah, I'm glad. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Like, again, it's just badly edited and to the sense where from one scene to the next, and then like, like I understand, like if he gave up finally and then then goes full deadite, mm-hmm. but no, it's like it almost like one scene where he's like, ah, make whatever you want, bring this up to your sister. 
I made stew. <laughs> I made slop. Okay. That, that's and that's basically what it looks like a slop. Yeah. Um, the sooner we expunge this from our memory, I think, the better. Um, but I, I, I don't know. Um, what else is there to say other than um, find us on on Facebook at the Cast of Cthulhu? Um, you can find us on Twitter at Cast Cthulhu. Um, we haven't done anything on that for a while. I blame the holidays. Yeah, uh, it, it was just there was a lot of stuff going on. Um, very busy, travel, all that sort of thing. But we're we're back and hungered down now. You can follow me on Twitter at Nolan Fixes Teeth. James uh, is fistful of media. Um, and yeah, that uh, that that does it for <laughs> the curse. But uh, yeah, next time, as I said, we'll be talking about Richard Stanley's The Color Out of Space. And I gotta say, as the time approaches, I'm getting more and more excited for it. Me too. Uh, yeah, it's it's weird. Like, I don't want to hype my myself up too much, but I'm um, I'm excited that this is getting a lot of good buzz. But I'm surprised. Well, actually, I'm not surprised yet. But the Draft House actually had one screening of it that's coming up, but it sold out like in seconds. Mm. It has like um, I think it has Richard Stanley like doing a Q and A like by video. Okay. With like a video Q and A, which I'm like cool. Mm-hmm. But then. I'm assuming, okay, then it'll come to the draft house, but I don't see it at all in January at all. Hmm. So I'm like, okay, maybe it's not going to play there at all. Like, I don't know. The draft house is weird sometimes with some of their films, but that to me that feels like a draft house film. That, that, yeah, it absolutely does to me. Um, Mandy, Mandy was like pushed hard mm-hmm. at the draft house too. So I'm like, it would make sense. Like another Nicolas Cage, crazy, weird shit. So like, to me, it's tailor-made. So hopefully, if we could see it at the the draft house, that'll be fun. Because at least, if even if the film's bad, we can at least have a couple of drinks, you know, and like yeah, kind of <laughs> be like, okay, well at least at least we're a little buzzed while we after <laughs> afterward record, you know. All right, but uh, <laughs> already 2020 is off to a great start. So <laughs> <laughs> that that's been the curse. I've been Jim. That's been James, and of yes. course. Um, next time we'll be talking about Richard Stanley's The Color Out of Space, uh, but in the meantime we'll be raiding and dreaming with Dead Cthulhu at his house in Rilia. Really